0: Welcome to the global medical device podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. The medical device industry is built on continuous improvement, and that's not just for devices. It means for the people building those devices. Greenlight Guru Academy is the ultimate resource to learn and grow for medical device professionals. From quick practical lessons to comprehensive certifications, you'll learn everything you need to know to keep up with the medical device industry. Visit www.greenlight.guru forward slash academy today to start learning the skills for tomorrow. Hey everyone, today we're going to be talking with Skylar Tally and Mark from MedScout. Uh, We're going to be talking about early stage territory planning. So this is more driven towards uh, how do you... How do you go about those medical device sales? So Skylar actually founded the company MedScout. MedScout is his place. It's a tool that he's built for sales planning and tooling at a small to growth stage medical device company. So we go through all of the different aspects and how people used to sell and now using this tool, how can you sell in the future? So hope this is beneficial to those of you who are planning out your early stage territory planning and working towards the medical device sales. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is Etienne Nichols, your host for today. And uh, with me today is Skylar Tally and Mark Mesher from MedScout. We're going to be talking about some different uh, aspects of go-to-market strategies. But let's start with Skylar. Skylar, do you want to talk a little bit about what MedScout is and does before we get into the topic?
1: Sure. We won't spend too long here, but you can effectively think about us as a territory optimization and sales enablement platform. So we work specifically with early to growth stage medical device companies to understand uh, what their current territory model looks like and how we can help them evolve that to best fit their commercial activities and then build sales enablement plans within the territory. So we can get into a lot of detail. Maybe it makes sense later on the episode but think about us as a revenue acceleration platform built specifically for medical devices.
0: That makes sense. Okay, so using that as kind of a springboard and I know Mark you have a few more years maybe than I do in this space as far as <laughs> especially in regards to the uh, the planning and the go-to-market strategies and so forth. Have you seen an evolution in how companies do this or maybe maybe what's some of the ways people used to do it but maybe they're getting outdated? Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly there are still individual reps who are very much on their own as it relates to how they develop their territories and don't necessarily have a tremendous amount of support coming from their companies, not because their companies uh, don't want to support them, but they don't necessarily uh, realize what tools are now available out there that historically haven't been. You know, there's been a lot of work, you know, by sales reps and by regional managers just diving deep into Google and finding different ways to look at data uh, in various geographies or as it relates to, you know, what physicians are out there, but being able to really pull all that information together in a useful way and allow it to drive, you know, how you prospect, how you organize your territory and making sure from a time perspective that you're able to really focused on the right targets has historically been a a big challenge. And and frankly, sales reps aren't always the best at Excel spreadsheets. Most of them don't have any idea what a pivot table is, let alone when they do have the useful tool of Salesforce, really understanding how to maximize and make that work. Uh, I don't hear from a lot of uh, reps out there in the field that are just over the moon uh, with how they have to use Salesforce on a day-to-day basis, and if they use it on a day-to-day basis, that is. So So certainly there's a lot of tools out there, but the evolution to where we are now to, to really get to where MedScout is basically bringing an Excel spreadsheet to life and putting it in, in front of you in a way that makes it very intuitive and useful in the day-to-day activities of a rep is just a huge step forward, not only from the data, but just how easy and straightforward it is for a rep to understand how to really maximize it in their territory. That's yeah, great, Skylar. And, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, just in my year and a half in market, a couple of the frameworks that I've heard that were kind of previously used for understanding where to place your next sets of reps. The one that stood out to me is kind of interesting was the NFL cities model. So we know that whenever we get to 25 to 30 reps, we're going to target having a rep in every NFL city or something along those lines. And so the early commercial teams that we talked to today are much more so thinking around, okay, we have headcount budget for three W-2 reps. Maybe we use some distributors on top of that for those three full-time reps. Where are our early clinical sites? Where are our key opinion leaders? And how can we use those early relationships to really make the most of those full-time employees and then maybe augment with distributors on top of that? And that's going to be specific by specialty area and stuff like that. But just kind of to build on Mark's point a little bit, I think you're seeing an evolution from these sort of frameworks or sort of methodologies based on just sort of mass geographic coverage into how do we put numbers on the board or early sales and clinical proof points um, out there as fast as possible and leveraging our early budgeted staff to do that. So yeah, just kind of wanted to add some observations from what I've seen in market so far.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. So a lot of our listeners, they may be early stage and maybe they're not to market yet. They may be thinking, well, you know, I mean, this isn't really on my radar yet. I'm going to wait until, you know, we're in manufacturing or, or we're, we're ready to go. What would you What would you say to that? Is there a good time to start thinking about territory planning?
1: I'll just jump in and then Mark would love your perspective from the early stage companies you've been on and kind of how that's stepped out from an order of operations standpoint. I think you're going to have to talk about it at fundraising, right? As you are raising that round to get into manufacturing or to start that early commercialization process, if that's on the docket for your company, you should at least know, okay, where do we have early, going back to my previous point, those early clinical relationships where else can we get into with this use of funds for this round? And what does that look like, at least from a high level perspective? So I think it there will be sort of, depending on how you're financing the company, that's probably where I've seen the conversation really start is getting ready for that diligence process to say, hey, okay, we're ready to step up and move to the next stage. What does early stage commercialization look like for us specifically? So uh, Mark, I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah,
2: yeah I would say, uh, you know, the earlier you can be thinking about these things, the better off you're gonna be for a few reasons it, it, because it'll creep up quickly on you when it does come time that you do need, uh, you get to commercialization, you do need those managers and reps in place, or you need to develop a pipeline of distributors. And the earlier you can understand where specifically it would be ideal to put those people, the better off you're going to be because then you can start down the road of really driving uh, a deep pipeline network of a potential um, bench of people, which could potentially save you on recruiting costs um, and certainly uh, get you ahead of the game when it comes to putting the right people in place as an, you know, early sales team within the company. And further to Skylar's point with regard to just the fundraising you know, we've been talking to companies who are thinking about this for their exit strategy as well so it works well for for fundraising but if you've got everything lined up to really explain why you've defined the territories you've defined and and really thought that through when it comes to diligence from somebody who's looking to acquire that puts you even further ahead of the game
0: that makes sense uh, did you have something, Skylar? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just just kind of, again, just a thought as as Mark was working through that. To his point, the earlier that you can understand where you think you're going to create commercial traction, but then actually go through what does it take to get through purchasing at that site or where that physician is located, whoever your champion yeah. is, the earlier that you can start that conversation, we've just seen a lot of sort of misaligned expectations with how easy it was going to be to get those early clinical proof points. So the earlier you can get started understanding purchasing pathways, what it's going to take to actually get the device in somebody's hand at the facility, that's the, the better off you're going to be, right? No, so I it's, to it's a great point here.
2: because in dealing with all the startups I've dealt with, you know, with this previous platform, it's funny to have them talk through You know, their commercialization strategy and somehow thinking that they're going to get hospital approval in a two to three month window uh, when they commercialize and really not having a good understanding of what value analysis committees are and just the slog it is to just get a product approved, you know, let alone have the physician champions necessary to to drive it through and the political capital that they're willing to drive it through. So again, yeah, the earlier you start, the more time. You can put into that. Skylar's absolutely right. It's going to benefit you tremendously when it does come to commercialization.
0: And Skylar mentioned something there, and I kind of want to highlight. He mentioned a phrase, maybe I'm not very familiar with clinical proof points. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? And, and uh, we may have to come back to some of the things Mark said because that political capital and thing that's going to be very interesting, I think. But go ahead, Skylar. Uh, the clinical. Yeah, point. we should definitely
1: talk about value analysis committees and and what kind of goes into that. It's a huge. It comes up. I would say probably in fifty to seventy percent of our commercial conversations with device companies. So we'll sidebar there. A lot of the early stage companies that we work with. So we'll help them design their early territory model, and then their first sets of reps are getting product out into market and working with those early key opinion leaders for the company. To get case studies for lack of a better term in place to say, hey, here's how we affected this sets of patients. This is what it compares to what we did previously, and this is why it's so much better. And then they can take those case studies into net new relationships for them and use it as a foot in the door, right? So to speak, say, hey, here's what we're doing at, you know, not to this just a purposes of example, Cedar Dr. X at Cedar Sinai. Here's the impact that it had on these patients with this disease state. This is what we can do for your system, for your clinic, for your practice, in so many words. So uh, what I feel like is that a lot of sort of maybe call it the first year, maybe even sometimes longer, depending on the device or the therapy, is focused on putting those case studies, early case studies together, and then figuring out how to take that to market. And quite frankly, where best to take those, who's going to be most receptive to those early case studies and where it's going to move the needle and back to the previous sidebar, where you can get through the purchasing process the easiest. So that's kind of how, if you think about it from a three-stage early commercialization roadmap, get the product into market, start to develop those case studies, then understand where you can take those. And then what is the distribution or rep model that you need to actually execute on the last leg of that strategy? So I'll pause there, Mark. Go
2: yeah, ahead. yeah. I mean, I think it's all of that. And then going back to getting into particular markets sooner versus later and understanding which markets you should be in, you know, that's going to help you because, you know, no two health systems are created equal when it comes to product approvals. But then there's also the resources of an early stage company that they have to consider allocation for. So if, you've, if you're allocating you know, for regional managers to start things out and cover a region, but within each region, you're pinpointing very specific areas. Well, you know, you have to look at, do I, do I need to get on rep tracks or are there other vendor credentialing softwares that are required based on the systems? And again, going back to the earlier, you can understand that and what the value analysis process is the better off you're going to be in the long run and making sure that you're not misallocating resources in that process because obviously every dollar counts early on
0: okay so If I'm a small company and I have an idea for my product and I'm working on getting funding, we talked about the early stage planning, just even at that early stage in order to get those funds, how detailed do I need to be thinking? You mentioned the clinical proof points, the case studies from the physicians. Yeah, yeah, that's later, but I need to be thinking, you know, physical geographical territory. Would you even suggest going down to the specific hospital and targeting that region or, or how does that work?
2: Yeah, I think it benefits you tremendously in a number of ways to be able to pinpoint as as best you can, both specific systems and specific hospitals. And that's obviously going to start with the the physician champions that you can corral early on. But I know from an investor perspective, the more detailed you can be and going how thoroughly and thoughtfully you've thought through your early stage commercialization, you're going to get a lot more traction with potential investors who realize that you're not just kind of throwing things at a wall and hoping to see what sticks, but are are much more thoughtful and strategic about how you're going about things.
0: Okay. That makes, that makes sense. Um, So how do, how do you build those relationships? I know MedScouts, I'm sure you're working on your own network, but suppose the company's just curious, how do those uh, relationships get built?
1: I'll defer to you, Mark, from the days at Angel MD and what you felt like were the most effective strategies for those early stage teams. And I've got some experience over the past year that I'll just add on if if I feel like it's incremental, but go ahead.
2: Yeah. And are you I just want to clarify, you're referring to the med device to physician relationship?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be, I think, a good place to start.
2: Yeah, so oftentimes there's some legacy associated with that. So it's harder, certainly, if you're developing a medical device company and don't have historic relationships within the space. And if that is the case, you usually want to go to who's the specialist in your particular area of expertise and the device that you're uh, coming up with and just ask them for advice. You know, uh, they love to teach. And if there's an opportunity for them to both help you tweak the product, um, help you uh, advance uh, the product, and then introduce you to other peers uh, who they think would be beneficial as well. That's always helpful. And then as you're building out that sales team and thinking things through, you have to think through what relationships they have as well. Um, And that's where we get into, uh, I guess, the discussion of uh, building a direct sales team versus distribution and things like that. Um, You know, relationships are vital early on. Uh, with, uh, with the development of a company and commercialization, because starting from scratch and starting cold with no relationship, you're going to have a very difficult time uh, getting even the best innovations off the ground because relationships mean so much these days. And and if we go back to the political capital associated with uh, what a physician's willing to go to back for in the hospital, you know, relationships certainly play a part along with certainly making sure it's a uh, a product that's going to drive uh patient outcomes and, and
0: clinical benefits. I can see that uh, yeah, uh, a lot of, you know, anytime you buy anything, you look at those reviews. Um, that's, that's one of the things, at least my generation, definitely. That's what you're <laughs> focusing on. Skylar. What, what do you think?
1: The only other thing that I would add on top of that, especially as an inexperienced early stage team. So we participated in the Texas medical center accelerator program last fall And I feel like the venture ecosystem and systems overall are starting to stand up these incubators and accelerators that give you at least sort of shots on goal to talk to clinical decision makers within the system. And so if you're, especially to Mark's point, if you're coming in sort of cold, right, and you may be on that founding team, don't have somebody where you can go understand clinical preference and what they're trying to solve for within the system, Some of those accelerators are a great benefit to just sort of shortening the innovation cycle down there and giving you a lot of conversations early on. So I would recommend anybody. Yeah, the TMC program was great. Really enjoyed meeting the entire team down there. And there's a few others like it out there that I put up for consideration for folks in the earliest stages.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And I'm going to circle back to something that Mark said a little bit early on reaching out to those, those clinicians, because they do kind of typically seem to have the heart of the teacher. You know, I was at MDM West last week, and uh, I got to speak with a thoracic surgeon. He basically said, guys, engineers and doctors have a similar, you know, if, if we score the exact same on psychological tests, including our social ineptitude. Now that's his words, <laughs> not mine, but uh, I, I, his, his main point was build those relationships with doctors. They love to hear they, they want to be innovative in the, in the industry as well. And they um, want to educate to your point. yeah, Exactly. I I love it. One other question I had, so this might kind of peel the layers off a little bit as it relates to medical devices. So we could talk about sales. And I do want to get a little bit more into the, uh, you know, the current strategies. We've talked a little bit about the legacy strategies, but what are some things that you typically, or that may be unique to medical device, you know, territory planning versus just any other product that there may be out there?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take this because I, I, I think about it a lot from a product standpoint. And then Mark, obviously feel free to follow up right after this. But territories are meaningful, right? Some part of your sales cycle will involve a rep or executive at the company, somebody going and either you know monitoring a case or going through product training, something along those lines. So you have to be thoughtful with things like. What am I asking from a geography standpoint, this rep to do in the early stages? Am I asking her to get on a plane every week or is it much more hyperlocal and she can cover a lot of ground in Houston, for example, because that's a high density area. So that's the first thing that we've seen. And then to Mark's earlier points, relationships still matter. So that can cover a couple of different sort of, let's call them vectors, there's a relationship between the founding team and the early team at the company and the rest of industry to say, hey, we could co-sell well with this product or we should talk to this rep that sells this other product because we're not competitive with them and they'll help us understand the dynamics. And then there's also relationships with early clinical decision makers, back to Mark's earlier point. So who can we get in front of to understand how they're thinking about this particular area? Um, And then there's relationships uh, within systems themselves, right? And so I think that understanding um, those relationships and how it affects sales planning is where we've seen the most thoughtful approaches. And it has to be pretty individual within the company itself because that's going to look different from company to company. So those are the two main things that I see as sort of different for medical device sales enablement than, say, some of the software Companies that I've been at um, previously, but'll I'll pause there. Go ahead, Mark.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, I recently had a conversation with uh, the son of a good friend of mine who was looking to get into the medical device space. And there was a time I would have advised him uh, pretty enthusiastically if the opportunity arose to to dive in. Um, but understanding how much things have changed, uh, going back to the value analysis committee and the lack of political capital that physicians have as employees now and not uh, necessarily getting everything they want, uh, the crunch of the contracting that's associated with it, where they may have a you know two-company contract with a, a little sliver left for innovation, uh, those things make it really hard on a rep to, who even when building relationships And in addition to that, physicians having less and less time available for reps. And with COVID hitting hospitals, working to push reps out of the OR, there's a lot going on specific to medical device reps, surgical reps, that make it a much more challenging environment than most other industries. I can imagine, I've never been in another industry, so I can't really say it. But I do know that this particular industry has gotten more difficult than it once was to really just do the day-to-day job so that's what made me so excited to come on board with MedScout is just the the idea and the platform of being able to utilize your time so much better with so much better data than has ever been available at our fingertips before to really hone in and do our job target the right people build relationships based off that information and then it it just helps you point in the right direction and, and maximize the, your time in the field to really to do as, as best if you can to meet your goals. You know, the striker days, it was, you know, 20 percent over over previous year every year. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do these days <laughs> when it takes that much time to just get in front of accounts and and through process. So, um, you know, the more more forward thinking the more information you have uh that's well organized and at your fingertips, I think the better off a rep's going to be. So, there's hope, but I don't I don't mean to dissuade people certainly, uh but I do I do applaud those out in the industry currently who are are being highly successful.
0: Yeah, th- there's a lot of noise, uh, just you know, whatever industry you're in, I'm sure, um, especially with the uh, all the different communication channels that we have. So um, we kind of talked about the old way of doing things a little bit. What would you what are some of the tools that people can use and and uh, to take that more targeted approach, um, you know, including you know what you guys are working on as well? But what's the real differentiation, I guess, is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I'll just kind of go ahead and speak to um, some of the more macro problems and how we see folks addressing those. So to build on on Mark's previous points, actually understanding in the earliest stage possible what that clear path to commercialization looks like, and there's, there's inputs that go into that. So where you can get within purchasing fastest and then into actually pay affecting patient lives the fastest at a tactical level is what we help. Companies understand. And so it's in going from sort of a old framework approach or a this is the specialty area that we're going to go after. And here's the two doctors that we're going to start with to know here's our much more detailed territory strategy across our owned team. So the W2 reps and the distribution team. And here's the top 20 to 40 champions that they're going to go after to start with. So that's having a platform to do that which is what the opportunity that we're trying to execute on at Medscout we feel like gives companies a major head start in the market. I think the other things that we've seen in far, as far as tools are within those groups that you're focusing on, so the the targets that you're going after understanding what their industry presence looks like. So which conferences they're attending, what they're doing on social media, kind of the broader person that you're going after here and using that to get more sort of creative on early digital efforts and more sort of targeted account-based marketing techniques to say, hey, Dr. So-and-so really enjoys going to this conference. Let's see if we can get a coffee with them there. Those are the sort of more creative things that we've seen earlier stage companies do to really move the needle as they're starting to get products down to market, like we've talked about this entire episode. So I think the only other thing that, that I would point out that we see common Uh, More so today than maybe previously is investing in sales tooling outside of something like MedScouts or putting a CRM in place early, but making sure that you're thoughtful about how you're populating that. So going back to the relationships point, understanding who's connected to who, where you have that foot in the door and what the actual strategy is there without having to do a whole lot of calls or manual coordination can save a lot of overhead on the team. So I think those are sort of the three things to be really that you can be thoughtful about in the earliest days from a platform and tooling standpoint that we've seen. And Mark, I'll go ahead and let you uh, pile on there if it makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I i don't think is I'm not going to get into real detail about any particular solution other than just to say that, you know, there are a number out there and it's just worth being very thoughtful in evaluating them to make sure it's not adding time to Your managers and your reps uh, it may be a great tool and provide a lot of value but at what expense so so really thinking that through i think the other thing that's changed a great deal you know more recently it used to be in device sales that the sales and marketing teams did not coexist well together um the sales teams tended to in most companies uh, tended to look at the marketing uh, department as their, uh, you know, brochure creators and 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 tool creators and things like that. And now it's shifted a tremendous amount because of LinkedIn and Facebook and others to where the marketing teams are really at the forefront of being very creative in in finding and generating leads uh, through really interesting means that weren't necessarily accessible previously, and certainly. Um, are accessible because they understand how to go find them versus uh, most device sales reps don't have a good understanding of how to um, utilize those tools uh, in those similar ways. So I think there's much better uh, coexistence and co-creation between marketing and sales than there ever was.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I can definitely see the marketing, you know, upstream versus downstream and the maybe misunderstanding about how those work in conjunction with sales um, being an impactor. Um, so building those relationships with physicians early on, getting into the hospitals, understanding those those different value analysis committees, that was one thing that I wanted, I was curious if you could give a little bit more explanation around uh, maybe the process and how those things are. Are, are looked at any any anything to add in, in that, or am I just kind of like just need to go do some research?
2: <laughs> no, there's a lot more to add to that. So, I mean, you have to start with the user, and I guess that's one of the other big differences in in medical device uh, compared to a lot of other areas is the person actually utilizing your product isn't the same person that buys your product, right? So that creates a whole another dynamic in how you go about things. And, and the, the physician typically is gonna be uh, the user of the product. They So they need to be your champion uh, and take this to the value analysis committees. You rarely have access to, or even know who's on that committee, uh, unless you're really good and can do a lot of research in that regard. So, so you need that physician to really spearhead Uh, bringing that product into the system in hospital. Um, And there's a bit of coaching that sometimes has to take place. uh, And you need to make sure that you've created a true champion because as I mentioned earlier, political capital within a health system isn't as vast for a physician as it once was. So, um, you know, making sure that you you're providing them something of great value to them and their patients uh, that's going to improve care and outcomes. Is what it's all about. And if you can uh, demonstrate that in a really meaningful way, it makes it so much easier for
0: the position to put that in front of a value analysis of many. That makes sense. So, it's, yeah, go ahead, Skylar.
1: Yeah, sorry to cut you off, Etienne. No. I, I think what's been surprising to me working with commercial teams over the past year or so is the degree to which a lot of times the individual rep is asked to make that case on for the physician that's taking them into the value analysis committee to Mark's point. And it's kind of um, there's two sides of that case. Hospitals are businesses so you have to present sort of a cost savings or incremental revenue aspect for bringing in the device often. but then to mark's point you also have to hey, here's how many patient lives are going to be affected and here's and here's what in what manner they're going to be affected and putting that on the reps is it's a lot, right? And so it's, um, that's one thing that was kind of surprising to me and, and to your earlier question, what maybe is unique about medical device? Cause then you're kind of handing that off and they're going in on your behalf and what's going to come out on the other side. We'll see. So anyways, just kind of wanted to add those two points, um, to the value analysis committee
2: discussion. That's, yeah. The other yeah, thing go. you have to remember going into those value analysis committees is sometimes you might, let's say you've got an amazing cardiology device, right? And you're you're chatting with cardiovascular surgeons and they're going to go present or you're going to go present on their behalf. Sometimes your value analysis committee doesn't contain anybody from cardiology or cardiovascular surgery. And you may be presenting to a family practice doc um, and having to convince them of a product that they don't necessarily deal with or care about or so you got to really uh, be thoughtful about uh how you go about building that value and and demonstrating that
0: value to me this almost says it, you almost need to treat that uh physician who's going to be your champion they are they literally are part of your marketing team almost to a, a certain extension um and the other side of that is, and just correct me if i'm hearing this wrong but um you need to understand not just your product and the solution it provides you need to truly understand the problem that you're solving and that's right. almost you you've got to be able to present that pain point it sounds like interesting yeah no question i i and i i tend to think
2: that you know, many of the things and the problems that we're talking about that device reps uh, deal with on a, on a regular basis speaks to much of what's broken in healthcare and the way the system is set up and the way it uh, functions or doesn't function for that matter. Um, and really, you know, putting out there the solutions that are going to create efficiencies and opportunities not only for uh, the physician and the patient, but for the hospital to be more efficient, or for the hospital to to do a better job of of you know building opportunities that are of benefit in the long run for their hospitals that that all they tend to be fairly short sighted in that regard. At least I've seen
0: historically. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Do you have any recommendations on how companies should be structuring that team early on, or um, as they go out throughout the the life cycle? Into commercialization,
2: yeah, it's a, it's a interesting quandary because you know certainly if you go the distribution route, it costs you nothing upfront, but you relinquish a great deal of control. Um, historically, distributors by definition don't want to be managed, which is why they became distributors. So, figuring out ways to, you know, you certainly have to build a management structure that managed that works with those distributors. If you decide to go that route and the more you can be a resource to them and partner with them in meaningful ways the more ingratiated you they will be to you Uh, your distributors tend to be your customers uh, in certain ways Um, and being able to really understand their territory but not be intrusive Uh, but it's one of the things that i was excited about coming over in my time both as a distributor and then also in my role as managing distributors, Um, the ability to have the details associated with the territory and work with the reps and the distributor principal in that territory to really help them, guide them on how to expand their business. Those things didn't didn't really exist previously. And most distributors use a CRM and, and maybe work off spreadsheets and oftentimes they're dealing with reps who aren't as experienced uh, in the space uh, and don't have as good a training uh, versus those that come out of some of the larger companies. So you have to weigh the options associated with that. But, uh, you know, when I looked, uh, when Skylar first showed me MedScout, I was, you know, just floored at what could happen in the relationships you have with distributors and how you go about uh, working with your distributors and being a resource and 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 a champion uh on their behalf as opposed to how it historically has been which distributors don't want to hear from the regional managers they just want them to be want to be left alone and, yeah. and go about uh, selling products so so that's one way to go the other side is um you know it depends on what you have for resources but you know building out a sales team can be an expensive proposition and once you've built out that sales team there's you know, a Christian that takes place, which is even more expensive. So there can be a lot of turnover, but it allows you to, to figure out the sweet spot of what level of experience you need from those salespeople, find that particular type of person, and then training them really well is the biggest advantage associated with that. So you're, you're going to get some training with the uh, distributors, but you can drive really deep into Training people the way you want them and, and getting them to understand and, and drive new product innovation in a much more meaningful way if they're your employees. So it's a it's a tough uh situation. A lot of it is just based on resources.
0: Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind because I think about the different territories throughout the world, EUMDR, for example, just you know throwing a wrench in a in a lot of people different people's plans. Not that I want to get too much into the detail on that. I know that's not our topic today, but Maybe we can talk about some of the different difficulties you have in different regions. I don't know if that's something you're interested in covering or, or any unique geographical um, uh, difficulties in the medical device industry or uh, any thoughts there.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is at least historically adoption of things and the way things have moved through health systems. Uh, As it relates to pricing and contracting or product adoption, I have historically seen it move primarily from east to west uh, as far as in the country. And part of that has to do with the population in the eastern part of the the country. But um, there tend to be, uh, I guess, health systems on that end of the, the country that are a little more forward thinking with the way they've gone about things. Um, and adoption tends to take place a little bit quicker uh with new innovations in the eastern US, with you know, certainly with exception, but um but yeah, that's historically what I've seen and what comes to mind initially when you when you pose that.
0: Wow. I that just that tidbit to me just really speaks to the, the 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 volumes of benefit of working with an expert in the field. You know, I never would have known east to west well, being an adoption it's, thing. It's the anecdotal, certainly. But somebody sure, you would need sure.
2: to do a, do a paper to prove that out. But it's just uh, what I've tended to, to find to be the case. I say that because typically I've worked in the Western U.S. Other than uh, being in <laughs> Chicago, so yeah, sometimes um, the greens it,
0: gra- grass is greener, right? <laughs> Skylar, what did you have?
1: Yeah, I, I was just going to follow up on that. I, I think it um, it's going like anything else, the devil's in the details, right? So for instance, in cardiology, what I've heard from early commercial teams is that, for instance, Texas has more, uh, has adopted the ASC model where a physician has an ownership stake in that surgery center, and therefore is able to move products through the purchasing cycle faster than somewhere like, Columbus, Ohio, where you maybe have or other areas of Ohio where you have a large hospital presence that has much more defined processes and gates. So I think it goes back to the earlier part of the conversation to understand the sooner that you can have those conversations with your clinical champions about what's it actually going to take to get this into your hands and practicing, the better off you're going to be. And having more of those conversations sooner is going to help you triangulate on potentially a regional focus for your early sales team. Yeah, um, government
2: policy is a good point, Tyler. Yeah. So,
1: and the only other thing that I was going to, you asked about sort of considerations for early sales planning in the previous question, I think two, you know, going back to what's common in your specialty area. So learn from what's been done in the past, right? And, you know, approach it from a first principle standpoint, but it's good to know why maybe spying over indexes on distributors compared to another specialty or something along those lines. And I think the other thing is understanding objectives. We've seen some companies that invest in a clinical model where you have a rep who's solely there for clinical support and training versus handling commercial activities as well? Or can you get by and provide great service with just an all-in-one rep or a distributor earlier on? That's going to be dependent upon how complicated your early product is and where you want to move to eventually. So those are the two other sort of considerations that i would put out there. The last one would be um, potential alignment with the strategic so if you have a strategic that you're going out for and you know maybe a potential acquisition scenario down the road, it doesn't hurt to think through how you can get in front of their commercial team earlier on in the commercialization process versus later. And is that through a distributor or through working to bring in um, somebody onto the early sales team that has previous relationships at that strategic? So just wanted to kind of pile on to those two points and a little bit based on what I've seen over the past year or so.
0: Yeah, great points. I think this is something, it sounds like something that, uh, you know, I I started out as product development engineer, manufacturing, and so forth. And it's something that I'm sure that uh, uh, those who are building small companies are thinking about, but the level of detail required. It's almost as if you're building a product, you're designing a product, but you're also designing your you know, your strategy as well as, you know, just like we talk about designing quality management systems on this podcast uh, quite a bit. All of these are design problems that you've, you've got to work through the details. That's, that's great. 100%. Any other recommendations to companies working through this process or thoughts that come to mind as we kind of wrap this up a little bit? Again, I just go back
2: to, you know, the challenges associated with uh, the day-to-day jobs of, you know, a medical device rep or or the managers or the VPs of sales and, You know, thinking through in this ever-changing time, not only your product strategy, but what is the digital strategy that can go along with that? You know, there are some really great companies out there who have really thought that through and developed entire departments around that. Now, certainly at the early stage, that's a difficult thing to do. Um, And it certainly depends on the specialty you're engaged in. You know, uh, a company in the uh, building, something for aesthetics or plastic surgery, should be diving very deeply into things like Instagram and uh, marketing themselves in different ways. And not, and not just as a company, but as an individual rep, utilizing things like LinkedIn to really develop a, a network and and build, you know, as an individual rep, figuring out ways to get the advantage of, of getting in front uh, of physicians this is a challenging thing, but there are new ways to go about doing it. So, you know, that's probably the biggest thing is just the ever-changing times that are out there and, and how you adapt to them and, and make the most. That makes sense.
1: I think for me, it, and this is kind of uh, maybe abstracting out outside of device, but anytime you're in an early stage environment or you know doing something entrepreneurial, go talk to 20 to 30 people that you're going to be trying to create an impact for. Go do the legwork to have the conversations and not just ask about the problem set that you're focused on, but make it a conversation around what's affecting their day-to-day lives, what's affecting their commercial progress, the systemic trends, what's changed over the past five years, so that you can start talking in their language sooner and understanding their problem sets and how to frame your solution as something that's going to address one of the top three to five problems that they're dealing with on a regular basis. And so that's true in software companies, that's true in device companies, but the doing sort of the early legwork to have those 20 to 30 persona conversations, I think is kind of bar none, you have to do that as early as possible, right? And you should continue to try to talk to that persona often um, and update your understanding of what's affecting them. I think the other thing is, I really enjoyed BCG and McKinsey both have a different series of articles about how MedTech sales is changing and sort of how that's trended over the past decade or so. Etienne, I'll send you the links to those. I think that those would be awesome to include in the show notes as potential resources. BCG, that series is kind of cool because they started in 2013, did another installment in 2017, and then another in 2021. So you can see how um, things have changed and things have not changed really in the industry since then. So I'd point people to those resources as well. And they do a good job, I think, of speaking to sort of Mark's points around how should, you be th- how should you be thinking about digital in the earliest days um, and, and what that's going to maybe look like moving forward? So just a couple of other points.
2: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would say lastly that uh, sales is still sales. That hasn't changed at all. When you get in front of the doctor, you better know your product really well. You better know how it relates and provides value to the doctor. But the third pillar would be knowing that doctor and being able to speak on their level as much as humanly possible will benefit you not only in that particular sales call, but will help you develop a relationship with them. They're, you got to think they're, they're much more apt to want to develop a relationship with reps who really know their stuff, not only their product, but uh, their particular specialty and area, as well as more info you can gather on that particular physician or target. And be able to relay that in meaningful ways to show value um, is tremendous. Uh, And so it's still selling. Still, it goes well beyond feature and benefit to um, you know value creation. But it's still still sales. You know. It hasn't changed in
0: however long it's been in existence, right? (laughs) That's that's a great point. You know, wherever you go, people are people wherever you go. And sometimes when you're in a different country, the most beautiful sound you can hear is your own language. So I'm sure it's the same in the operating room. So there you go. That's cool. Well, I appreciate you all taking the time to have this conversation. It's been eye-opening for me, certainly. Uh, We'll include in the show notes, uh, Skylar, if you get those uh, notes to me, that'd be awesome. We'll send that that link to that BCG article, as well as uh, a a link to MedScout. If you're interested in learning more about what Skylar and Mark are up to and and, uh, how they can maybe benefit your team in the early stage territory planning, uh, we'll have that link in the show notes as well. So be sure and check that out. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. As you know, we're powered by Greenlight Guru, the only medical device success platform that is designed specifically for medical device professionals by medical device professionals. So if you're interested, go on over to www.greenlight.guru to uh, see more. We will see you all next time. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering costs. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.